Well, has anyone ever asked you, hey, when were you saved? I've been asked that question a bunch of times over the course of my life. Maybe you have too. When I was, when I was younger in age and younger in the faith, that question used to give me a bit of anxiety. Um, what people usually mean when they ask that question ties into what we talked about last week with justifying grace. They want to know when I said yes to God's love for me in Jesus Christ, when I um, experienced being forgiven and accepted by God. They want, to, they want to know when I said the prayer that you're supposed to say. Uh, they want to know when I um, raised my hand after a compelling speaker at a conference when the lights dimmed and the music swelled and I went down to the front with hundreds of other kids. Like, boom, God's work is done, ticket to heaven punched, I'm good to go. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. What happens next? What happens after that? Where do we go? What do we do? Who are we the morning after an experience like that? A month later. Five years later. Does God's saving grace just happen once in a moment? I had a professor at Duke Divinity School say that he started to answer uh, that question, when were you saved? At some point in his life, he started answering that question with the statement on a cross 2,000 years ago. And I like that response. And now I think I'm tempted to answer that by saying, this morning, or every moment, like that time when God enabled me to be um, less selfish and more generous, or less fearful and more filled with hope, more patient with my kids, more loving to that person that I always disagree with, less self-absorbed, more loving to my neighbor, when I found time to pray and, and read my Bible and God became even more beautiful. You see, friends, God saving us is not just a, a one-off moment that happens. God, God's saving grace doesn't just woo us, prepare us, forgive us, restore our relationship, and then done. That's only the beginning of God's saving work. When we experience God's justifying grace, we, we may be forgiven, we may be accepted, we may have stepped through the doorway, but God is certainly not finished with us. The grace does not stop there. God's just getting started. This is the point where the real work of transformation begins, not concludes. We're stepping into the, the house of faith with rooms upon rooms to experience more of God's presence. As graceful people, United Methodists call this third dimension of God's grace sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace. The continued presence of God's work in our lives to transform us, right? To transform us, to make us become more like Jesus. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us and transform us, that we might live for you, bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord.
Amen. Readings this morning come from the Gospel of Matthew and then from Paul's letter to the Philippians. First from Matthew chapter 5. Hear these words. You have heard it was said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you, so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Hey, uh, Jesus, are you serious with that statement? I mean, I know we're, we're supposed to, you know, you're calling us to a high standard, but don't you know about this little thing in our lives called sin? Jesus can say something like that because Jesus is serious about the power of God's grace. Do we believe that God's grace is stronger and more powerful than sin? Christ does not command us to do what Christ does not empower us to do. That empowering work is the work of sanctifying grace. When I was ordained a United Methodist pastor, I was asked these questions. Have you faith in Christ? Are you going on to perfection? Are you earnestly striving after it? And these statements were not statements about the infinite human capacity, infinite human capabilities. They're confession in the power of God's grace, the power of sanctifying grace to make us new, to make us holy, to make us loving. So the perfection that Jesus is talking about, the, the perfection that I acknowledge I was going toward in my ordination vows, is not moral flawlessness. It's spirit-empowered maturity. It's spirit-empowered maturity. It's becoming more complete in love precisely because and through the power of God's grace. If we look at what Jesus had been teaching just prior to that statement, it's all about the kind of love that's supposed to rule us, that's supposed to, to drive us, right? Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you love only those who love you, what credit is that to you? In other words, someone who can love an enemy, someone who can love without expecting anything in return, is someone in whom love is taking over, in whom love is ruling, someone who is becoming more complete 
and mature in God. Someone who isn't the same person as they were before God started working. We might translate it as be complete in showing love just as God is complete in showing love. John Wesley said that God's desire uh, was for love to become the constant ruling temper for our soul. Where, God for, where love for God and neighbor rules our hearts and as such sin and selfishness just don't have any room there anymore. They get crowded out. The way that this growing in love, growing in grace, maturing happens is only through God's continued work in our lives to, to empower and enable it through sanctifying grace. Sanctify means to set apart as different or to make holy. Not in a sense of being holier than thou. No, God's sanctifying grace shapes us more into the likeness of Christ. As the Holy Spirit fills our hearts and lives with more love for God and more love for neighbor, we begin to live more and more for God. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you to both will and work for his good pleasure. And that word in Greek can also be translated as empower or, or energize. God energizes, meaning apart from God, we couldn't do it. God empowers us to grow into our salvation through grace. God enables us by and through grace to live in ways that are increasing in love for God and in love for neighbor. God is working in us for us to be able to work for God's good purposes. Like a master builder building a house, God is building and rebuilding uh, mod, uh, renovating and remodeling our hearts and lives according to God's glorious design so that, they, so that we start to resemble the one who made us, so that the house indicates or says something about the builder. I was recently convicted um, last Sunday during our Acts Men's Bible study when when Garrett, who was leading it, pointed out to this short phrase in the, in the Scripture passage of, of Acts that we were reading and asked us a question about it. And the Scripture said, the leaders of the temple recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. They recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. And so then Garrett asked us, can people tell that we've been with Jesus? Can people tell that we've been with Jesus? And that question really gets to the heart of sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace works in our lives, enabling us and empowering us to live in a way that makes it look like we've been with Jesus. Like we've been spending time with Him. Like, like and then the more time that we spend with Him, the more and more we start to resemble Him and His ways. You see, for Jesus, for Paul, God doesn't just want us to look righteous, to appear righteous. God wants us to become righteous. And God works in us to transform because God wants to work through us to transform. And this is the connection that Paul makes clear. It is God who is at work within you, enabling you both to will and work for His good purposes for his good pleasure. 
And then later he says, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. So sanctification, sanctifying grace is linked to participation in God's plan. Grace doesn't just stop with God setting things right between us and God, forgiving us so that we get to go to heaven one day. God's got much bigger plans than that. God is ultimately about the transformation of the whole of creation. And if we're going to participate in that transforming work, then we have to be transformed too. So that we shine like stars in the world, so that we start to look like we've been with Jesus, so that we can be faithful participants in God's restorative work. What God wants to do through us, God has to do in us. So we're being saved, we're being made more perfect in love, we're growing in grace so that we might become the people God originally created us to be, those image bearers, image bearers. If we're going to be a part of changing our communities and changing our world, we have to be changed by God's sanctifying grace. And then there's this beautiful spiraling that that happens. When we become transformed by the power of grace, then we become then we begin to be a part of transforming our families. And then our families uh, become a a part of uh, and join together with other families in in a church. And together we begin to transform our community and then our our community and and our city and, and on and on to the world. Sanctifying grace. But it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's all a gift, but it doesn't happen in a vacuum. God invites us into places and into practices where we can be shaped by this sanctifying grace. You don't put a plant in a dark room and expect it to grow without the sun. And so while this this growing in holiness and love is unearned grace at each and every step, it is gift, it is a cooperative work. It's a cooperative work. There are practices and means by which we experience this grace, ways God promises to show up and to grow us. It doesn't happen with us just sitting around passively. When I had the chance to study abroad in Spain, we got to do some weekend excursions throughout the, throughout the country. Um, beautiful, beautiful land. And I was surprised by how many wind turbines um, that they had. Um, and you can tell, you could tell that they were very strategically placed where the wind would predictably blow, right? I mean, you don't place a windmill designed to generate energy in just any old spot. You put it where the wind always shows up. Similarly, when it comes to us cooperating with God's grace, we have to put ourselves in the path. There are practices through which God's empowering presence always shows up to help us grow to make us more holy in love. And we need to make sure that we're, we're putting ourselves there to catch that grace, that grace wind that empowers us. Methodists call these means of grace. Means of grace. Things like going to worship and receiving communion, listening to the word read and, and preached, things like private prayer and Bible study, things like small groups and holy friendships, things like Um, working to become anti-racist and more inclusive, advocating for the poor and marginalized, things like 
telling others about Jesus, or inviting a friend to church, reaching out to a neighbor in need. All of these means of grace are like rooms, rooms in the presence of God. And each time we step into one of these rooms and then to another, God transforms us a little bit more. God smooths out this rough edge over here. God polishes this edge over here. And ultimately, our love for God and neighbor grows. God enlarges our hearts just a little bit more. Through participation in practices like these, we open up. We put ourselves in position for the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts and lives. This is how we confirm our faith, live it out in practical ways every day. This is how we dare to believe that through God's grace, we can actually become better people than we would be on our own to our own devices. This is how we can say God's grace is greater than our brokenness. This is how we can say I'm not the same person that I was five years ago, and guess what? I'm going to be a different person five years from now because God's grace is shaping me and molding me and helping me become more holy in love. Because God is not finished with me yet. This is how we can say God is saving me every day. This is how God works in us so that God can work through us. This is sanctifying grace. So what about you this morning? The question is, is not as simple as when you were saved. The question is, are you being saved? Are you being transformed? Is your heart for God and neighbor getting bigger? Have you become more loving toward God and your neighbor than you were five years ago? Are you a different person now than you would be if not for God's grace at work in your life? Are you putting yourself in a position to experience God's sanctifying grace? Or sitting back and waiting and hoping to feel God's presence? In what ways is God making you more holy? How can you and others tell? The good news is, friends, God's grace is still absolutely amazing. It is still captivating. It wants to grab hold of us, never let us go, and change us from the inside out, and it won't stop until we shine like the stars. It won't stop until the, the sparks of our heart are, are fanned and blown into flames. You remember I began this series by sharing that I'm so grateful to be a part of a, of a church of denomination that gives grace a chance. That gives grace a chance. May it be so in our own hearts and lives. May we give grace a chance. May we be graceful. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.